You're listening to a Stranger podcast. www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. Sometimes I talk too much about my marriage. I'm just going to throw that out there. Sometimes I talk too much about Terry, and every once in a while I get a really furious, angry email from some bitter singo, bitter single, who is mad that I'm bragging about my perfect relationship. Um, and uh, this person screams and yells about how uh, it's so perfect, Terry's so perfect, you guys are perfect. Ugh. And actually, you know, things aren't perfect. You don't go on and on in public about the shit that doesn't work about your relationship. Other uh, stuff that doesn't work about a relationship. Things we choose to overlook, things we realize now after all these years together can never be reconciled so we've stopped trying to reconcile them. Uh, Terry drives me up the walls in some ways. There are times when I am convinced that the only sensible bone in his body is mine. I can be a little depressive and, and angry and I get spun up. I get manic. I get – you know, you've listened to the show. You know how I am. Imagine listening you know, once a week for an hour or so. OK. Imagine living with me can't be easy. Uh, but the one thing that I really think that really fucking drives you crazy, and it comes up every year about this time, is fireworks. This is a red state, blue state thing. Much more than like gay gay or anything. This is – I grew up in Chicago in a big city. Uh, when you wanted to see fireworks on July 4th, you went to the lakefront and the city threw some fireworks into the sky for you. You didn't drive to an Indian reservation and buy enough fucking explosives to take out Dresden, which is what Terry does every year. He grew up in Spokane, Washington, and he drives – every year he drives out to the Indian Reservation and he comes home with bombs. There's no way to describe this shit. Bombs. One year we had a barbecue and he set up one of these boxes full of bombs and shoot them way up in the air. And the first one it went up and the box tipped over pointing at all of our guests around the uh, campfire and began shooting – it was – a miracle nobody got killed. And anyway, think of me tomorrow because Terry will be in the street in front of our house with the neighborhood kids, which is what he becomes every year on July 4th. He becomes one of the neighborhood kids setting off bombs and I will be in the house with a book facing away from the windows pretending this is not happening. 9-1 dialed on my phone waiting for the final one when I hear a body part splat against the window of the living room. This is my July 4th in my perfect relationship. It is stressful. It is conflict rich. We will be fighting tomorrow, you bitter, bitter old queen. Who's bitter young queen. I don't know how old you are. I don't even know if you're a queen. You bitter piece of shit who just sent me this email that I got right before we started down to record this podcast about how I, my relationship is perfect and I'm so lucky and I should shut the fuck up. My relationship isn't perfect. Only sensible bone in his body, mine. I'm insane. That's his cross to bear. Fireworks on the fucking 4th of July. Makes me insane. So tomorrow I will be miserable. Rest assured. Resentful. Singos. Your calls after this. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Just go to AdamandEve.com and enter Savage at checkout. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. 
For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I'm a 23-year-old female living on the West Coast. Uh, I've been dating a guy for a little bit less than a year, and he's fantastic. He's intelligent, communicative, incredibly funny. He was um, he was vanilla when I met him, and now he's super kinky. We go to play parties and kink events together. He uh, accepted polyamory when we started dating, although thanks to you, we've now changed our title to monogamish. In short, he is great. The one trouble is that he is in grad school, and while I completely accept that grad school comes before everything else, I really, really want him to succeed, I'm feeling pretty neglected. I feel like I go out of my way pretty often. I I don't drive and I'll take public transportation very, very far to see him at ridiculous hours of the night. I'll, I'll put things off to spend time with him when he's free, and he won't compromise on Things like what time he goes to bed and and when he's free, he needs to do homework. And, and I, I totally accept that that's, that's valid. I, I won't argue with him. I won't tell him that he should put off doing homework or, or ruin his sleep schedule to, to hang out with me. But it, it hurts to think that I'm not getting uh, what I'm putting into this. And I know that he's only got two and a half more years of grad school and uh, and after that, maybe, you know, he'll have more free time. We'll be able to schedule things better between us. But is it worth it to hang on that long? I've only been dating him for a year. And that's, you know, two and a half times as long as we've already been dating. But I'm going to have to wait for it to get better. Is it is it worth it? I mean, the, the relationship is fabulous. I really love him. I, I hope that maybe it'll, this will be a forever sort of thing. But is it worth it to wait two and a half years of feeling neglected and not getting the attention and time that I feel I deserve and not getting the same amount of effort into seeing me that I put into seeing him? I have a couple of friends I'd like to introduce you to. They're both married to doctors, and they would cry you a fucking river about 2.5 years in grad school when they slogged through, what was it, six, seven, eight years of med school and residencies uh, and they did it because they were really into their partners because they were totally compatible. These, both these couples are straight. The husband in one case, the wife in the other case, doctors, uh, their wife, husband. Worth it because they were great, strong, solid relationships and so they got through it. You can get through 2.5 fucking years for this guy, a great guy, someone that you, you're totally sexually compatible with, someone that you like, someone who's really super smart and driven – and has his priorities in order, frankly. When he's laying down the law about sleep schedules and homework, that for him right now is absolutely the right thing to do. And you have some latitude and you have some freedom. If you have needs, if you feel neglected, you're monogamous. You can get a little on the side to tide you over over these 2.5 years. Um, it does seem a little unfair and maybe he can bend a little on you always having to do the commuting. If he can schlep to you every once in a while, he can study on the bus. He can study on his commute. Uh, he can study at your place, then fuck you and then go home every once in a while. Carve out those special times. But, you know, I'm always telling people to DTMFA, to break up, break up, break up. So many people need permission and a push to do what they need to do what they know they need to do when it comes to ending a relationship. This is the reverse case. and I'm grateful for your call because I don't get to say this very often. You should really fight to keep this guy in your life. You guys, sound, It sounds like you have something great and something special. And you'd be surprised how quickly 2.5 years uh, of grad school are going to fly by. Um, and again, you have a little bit of latitude. You have a little bit of freedom. You can get your needs met elsewhere a little bit. You can play elsewhere. Uh, do it. Stick it out. It'll be worth it. And then 
once he's out of grad school and he's on to the rest of his regular life, if you go to grad school or you decide to go to med school or something, you'll be able to hold this over his head. And that's a really important thing in a long-term relationship, storing away those things you will then be able to haul out and hold over your partner's head at some point. We all need those. Those are actually good things, shit you hold over your partner's head. They can keep a relationship together. They can bond you. So uh, come the day when you need him to do the hard work, when you need him to do the maintenance, when you need him to commute to you and where you are to keep your relationship going, you'll be able to point to these 2.5 years and say, hey, I did for you, now you do for me. Hey, Dan. Uh, so I'm broke. Uh, and my current girlfriend and a couple past girlfriends have commented on my uh, the way my penis is. Um, I don't know how better to say that, but uh, I was wondering if there's any way, like who is the model for dildos? Is that a thing that I could do? Could I do that thing? Um, I have a neck penis. I'm not like some weird dick, you know, dude. I'm just seeing if there's a way I can make some money off of my dong. There are no jobs in dick modeling. Uh, if you have a really pretty dick, that's a wonderful thing, literally a wonderful thing. Uh, and you can monetize it if what that dick is attached to is equally attractive uh, and uninhibited and you're willing to do porn. Uh, but you're not going to be able to waltz into some sort of dildo factory and say, look at my dick and they're going to bust out a line of dildos modeled on your cock. Uh, you can fake that mold. And if you go to a sex toy store and you look at what they're selling, the insertive toys, the silicone toys, the glass ones, the chrome ones, very few of them look like dicks. They look like rods and lightning bolts and dolphins and just amorphous blobs. Very few of them look like realistic cocks. There's not a big market out there. Maybe if your dick is super pretty and so are your upper thighs and so is your lower torso. Maybe you could monetize your beautiful dick by doing jack-off videos on Xtube. There are people on Xtube who make money by putting up little 15-second clips and then you have to pay to see the rest. Maybe your dick is so beautiful that people will want to pay to see you jerk it on Xtube. But uh, you will need real work. You'll need a job. Uh, you're not going to make shitloads of money doing that, and there's no such thing as a dong model. I'm sorry to report. Hi, Dan. Got myself into a little bit of a situation. I was hoping you could uh, provide perspective. Uh, my husband and I have been married for about five years. Uh, we are swingers. We've been having a lot of sexy fun times with other couples. But uh, my husband's also a fan of transgendered women, which I'm fine with, and in the past he's um, gone and seen them on a professional basis, and recently he was talking about going together, but we looked into it, and it's been, it's it's very expensive for a transgendered uh, professional to see a couple, and I, I was snooping last night, which is the reason why I'm calling, and I found out that he recently visited a uh, transgender dominatrix, and that doesn't bother me so much as the fact that he felt like he couldn't tell me about it beforehand, and also that recently when he's been tight, and I, we four went the anniversary gifts to each other, 
because of that. And then I find out he goes and blows $250 on himself, essentially. And this is like the common problem you need to chat about with your girlfriends. So I figured I'd call you and see what you had to say. Snooping is always wrong. I have to throw a bone to the snoop Nazis because whenever somebody snoops and they find out that their partner did something terrible or only moderately awful in this case, uh, and I discuss it, if I don't first tag that snooping is always wrong base, the snoop Nazis jump down my throat. Snooping is always wrong. Everybody does it. And I think in a long-term relationship, you're right to do some of it, but it's always wrong. Uh, and then sometimes you find out things that you'd rather not know or things that complicate your relationship. But once you know something, you can't not know it. You can't unknow it. You can't pretend not to know it. And if you don't just directly address this with your husband, it'll fester. You'll take it out in other ways. You'll get angry about random sh- shit that has nothing to do with this because your anger is going to express itself somehow. So best just to cop to the inexcusable sin of doing a little bit of what everybody does, a little snooping long-term relationship, and just toss it on the table and say, you know, I'm really hurt by this. We were talking about this. Um, you know that I'm GGG and down with all of this. Money's tight. Our anniversary, hello. And you spent 250 bucks to see the trans professional dom, and I feel really violated. Uh, and I feel like that was unfair and dishonest and needlessly so because I think if you guys had talked about this and he had talked it out, maybe you could have signed off on it. I'm not defending him, but men and their dicks, you know, when the balls are full, the head is empty. Guys uh, and women to uh, some extent too, but sometimes guys will purchase on impulse and then be filled with regret about it. So I think when you talk to him about this, he will either immediately express regret, tell you that the second he came, he knew it was wrong. He felt terrible about it. If he has any sense, he'll say all of these things, uh, even if they're not true, uh, but he'll say all of these things. And they're very highly likely to be true. I bet he's burdened with guilt about this uh, minor betrayal, this sin of omission. Uh, So address it directly with him. Assess whether you think his apology is sincere uh, let him make it up to you. Sounds like you guys, like the first call, have a really good thing going, a really good bond. There are sometimes dishonesties and minor betrayals in LTRs. There's no such thing as an LTR if there isn't on both parts an ability to process and then forgive and move past those minor betrayals. And hopefully his apology will be sincere. You'll find it in yourself to forgive him and then you guys can make it up to each other, including busting out some sort of anniversary gift on his part, of at least $250 value. This episode is brought to you by adamandeve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Go to adamandeve.com and order almost any one item at 50% off. Choose a new adult toy, lube, or almost anything from over 18,000 adult products. Then at checkout, enter offer code SAVAGE, and you'll get to choose three free adult DVDs. That's right, you get to choose your own DVDs. Plus, receive a free mystery gift and free shipping on your entire order. Choose from all kinds of genres for both gay and straight folks. And now you can also shop on your mobile phone at Adam and Eve. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hi, Dan. I'm a 52-year-old bisexual kinky woman. And I met a trans woman at my local march, and we really hit it off. I lost my husband about three years ago, and she'd lost 
her partner around the same time and we kind of bonded over that and became quick friends. And over the last few months, it's developed into something a lot deeper. Um, in fact, I think we're both pretty much in love with each other, even though we haven't actually gone to bed with each other yet. I really love spending time with her. She's funny. Um, we into the, we're both pretty geeky into sci-fi and that kind of thing. So we laugh at each other's jokes and we get each other's references and it's really a very comfortable relationship. I enjoy her company a great deal. There's one problem and it's my problem. I realize that um, when we go out together, people stare at us. She transitioned about 10 years ago, so she's used to it and hardly pays any attention to it. But I'm not used to having people stare at us when we're out together, and especially when we're holding hands or showing any kind of public display of affection. Um, we live in California, however, it's a very conservative part of California, and a lot of times when we go out together, um, people call her sir. She has, still has a very deep voice, despite the fact that she's been taking hormones for well over 10 years. You know, this is really the only downside to our relationship thus far, and I realize it's my hang-up, but it's keeping me from introducing her to my vanilla friends. My kinky friends are all fine with it. Keeping me from accepting this relationship for all it could be. Any, any advice on how I can get past this? Your call kind of breaks my heart, and I don't think you're doing anything wrong, and I think your feelings are your feelings, and sometimes you just have to feel your feelings to get past them. You say that she transitioned 10 years ago, and that your girlfriend is used to it. She's used to the stares. She's used to standing out in the way that she does. Uh, you don't say that when people call her sir that she gets upset. Uh, presumably, that is upsetting. It upsets you. I'm curious as to whether it upsets her, or how she processes it, how she handles that in the moment. Um, because I think the person that you need to talk to about this at length, the person that you can turn to for advice about how to work through the feelings that you're having right now, that person is your girlfriend who worked through these feelings 10 years ago. And I would hope that she is mature enough uh, as a person, as a trans person too, to realize that this is new for you and that you are stepping outside comfort zones because you're so attached to her, because you, you feel so strongly to her. You're open to, obviously open to being in a relationship with her and the public thing, uh, the public aspect of the relationship, the challenges that that presents for you, those are new and different experiences for you. Welcome to sexual minority status, right? And that's a new and different experience for you. And the person you should be able to not unload on, not blame, um, turn to, rely on, lean on is your girlfriend who already went through this. It's just like when somebody who's gay and coming out dates somebody who's been out for 20 years or 10 years. Um, sometimes that gay person who just came out has the exact same reactions that you're having to public displays of affection, to being stared at, uh, to, to being perceived in public as gay and feeling judged and uh, – feeling uncomfortable and really working through that internalized homophobia. You're struggling with all of that. And in that kind of relationship, often the, the younger, just out gay person will then 
ask for advice or get advice, whether they ask for it from, or not, from the older, uh, longer out person. Sometimes the longer out person isn't older, but from the longer out person. That person in your life is your girlfriend. If you present this to her in the thoughtful, I think considerate and, and insightful way that you presented it to us, I can't imagine she would react badly. I can't imagine that she would be anything other than loving and supportive and willing to talk about these things with you. Um, if she reacts badly though, if she acts like these feelings are in any way illegitimate, that you don't have a right to feel the feelings that you're feeling right now to at 52 um, really become a sexual minority and have to just struggle with – Things, you know, public perception, public judgment being stared at that most people who are queer work through in their teens or early 20s. If she can't react compassionately, if she doesn't understand, if she can't help you through that, then she's not mature enough to be in a relationship with you, to be in a relationship, period. She may not be the girlfriend that you think that she is. She may not be worthy of your time and affections regardless because if she reacts badly to that kind of conversation – then I can't imagine that in other things that are not related to sexual identity or public perceptions that she's going to treat you fairly uh, or, or be mature enough to be in an adult relationship. So I would turn to her and start speaking with her about these things. It doesn't sound like you have yet. Um, I think you would have mentioned it in your call if you had. Uh, so maybe just play the show for her. Maybe have her sit down and listen to your call and listen to my response and then you guys should start talking about this. And she can help you through it. And you know what? Just for me, fuck those fuckers who stare. Let them stare. If getting stared at every once in a while is the price of admission you have to pay to have love and affection and companionship in your life again, that's a rather small price. The one thing I don't think it's fair to put on her or to process with her is your shame. You need to work through that shame. And I'm talking about introducing her to your vanilla friends. Um, she's a human being. She's not a kink, right? She is not a dog collar. She is not a BDSM outfit. She is not a sex act. She's a human being and you are dating her and she is your girlfriend. Uh, that your girlfriend is trans is not a kink. So this isn't about vanilla versus non-vanilla. This isn't about, oh, my vanilla friends won't understand because this is a kink or this relationship is kinky. This relationship isn't kinky. It's a relationship. Presumably when you introduce her to your vanilla friends, you're not then promptly going to begin to have a sex on the floor in front of them with all your kinks on display. Uh, if I were your girlfriend and you were not introducing me to your other friends, I would feel the sting of your shame, of your projecting your shame onto me. Um, and that's not fair for you to do to her. You're in or you're out. Right? You're in this relationship or you're out of this relationship. She's a human being or she's not. The divide can't be this is my kink life and then I have my real life or my vanilla life and you can't come over into my vanilla life and meet my vanilla friends because you are my kink. She isn't your kink. She's your girlfriend and may soon be your partner. The sooner the better. The sooner you rip those Band-Aids off, the sooner you get over being stared at, the sooner you introduce her to your vanilla friends and let them think whatever the fuck they want to think. You're dating a trans woman. Get the fuck over it. You have someone in your life. Uh, you're dating a trans woman. If they have a problem with that, fuck them. They're not really your friends. Again, you're welcome to sexual minority status. First time when you come out to your friends when you're a teenager and you introduce them to your boyfriend, some of your friends can't handle that. Some of your friends can't handle the reality. Maybe they could handle it when you you came out sort of abstract like, okay, you're gay, dude, whatever. The first time they meet your boyfriend, 
First time your boyfriend is publicly affectionate with you in front of some of your friends, you lose some of those friends. That's when you find out who your friends really were. If you have friends who walk because this is the woman that you're with, this is the person that you're dating, they weren't your friends. They would want you to be happy. They would want you to have a partner. They would want you to have someone in your life again after the loss of your husband. If they don't want that for you, fuck them. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is Most Talkative Stories from the Front Lines of Pop Culture by Andy Cohen, narrated by Andy Cohen. Uh, it's hilarious. He's hilarious. Uh, I'm reading it actually on dead trees right now. But you can listen to it sitting in your car or running on a treadmill at the gym or walking down the street or sitting on the subway by going to audiblepodcast.com slash savage for that free audiobook of your choice. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. This is a 23-year-old straight female. I'm a pretty recent fan of the podcast. A friend of mine played me an episode a few months ago, and I've been a big fan ever since. But um, I was listening to some of the older episodes while I was doing some chores around my house, and you said something along the lines of um, there are two types of kinky people, people who met and had partners later in life that kind of introduced them to kinkiness, and they really liked it, and they continued with it. Or people that... Um, did kinky stuff when they were little kids and they didn't understand it. And the reason that um, I was really interested in this statement was because when I was a kid, I developed an early interest in bondage. I remember seeing a comic book at the barber shop when I was there with my family that had a picture of a woman tied up to a pole like, covered in honey, about to be eaten by a bear in the Roman Colosseum, and Conan comes and rescues her. But I just remember being fascinated by this image of this woman tied up, and, you know, her clothes are torn, and I've just always been really interested and turned on, but I guess I didn't really understand that I was turned on because I was so young. And this progressed into me tying myself up to the foot of my bedpost, or tying up my Barbie dolls. One time I even went for a sleepover at a friend's house. I was probably 9 or 10. And I tied her up inside of this um, Disney princess tent that she had in her living room. And after that experience, she, I guess, told everyone in school that I was weird, that I had done something to her that was not okay. And I didn't understand, but um, basically I ended up being very outcast uh, in middle school, high school. Uh, I didn't know how to talk to any adults about it because I really didn't understand. I was afraid that they were going to think that I was weird, too, that they were going to ostracize me in the same way, so I, I didn't talk to anybody about it. I guess I just kind of wanted, wondered if you could expand upon um, people that did develop their kinkiness when they were very young and just how to uh, how to get over the shame that I've felt for, you know, the better part of 20 years. 
Joining me by phone, Tynan Fox, who's an activist, sex educator, and kinky blogger. He writes about topics on kinky sexuality and has recently started doing some public speaking on the subjects of BDSM, rubber, leather, and alternative lifestyles. His blog is TynanFox.com and includes information there on how you can book him for your event or your school. He's also been a guest expert in Savage Love on the topic of mummification, which scares the shit out of some people. Uh, thanks for very much for jumping on the phone with us today, Tynan. Thank you so much for letting me help answer. So when did you first realize that you were a kinkster and you were into bondage and all these other uh, kinkster things? Well, I'll have to say it was probably a really similar experience to the one the caller had. Um, I think my first uh, notion that I ever had an attraction to any sort of bondage was when I was probably about five years old, I was sitting in the back of my uh, parents' car. I remember we were driving on vacation, and I was doing a coloring book, even at five years old. And uh, on the back page, there was a uh, picture of a bunch of cowboys tied up, all of them back-to-back to a stake, all of them gagged and clearly had been kidnapped by someone. And at that moment, I knew that that um, turned me on a lot like the caller. So I can definitely sympathize to the kind of uh, situation that she's having to deal with right now. Did, the, did that realization ever bring you into conflict with your peers when you were still in school, still in grade school and high school? I guess I was lucky enough that it never really did. I never um, told anybody about it and I, I kind of kept it to myself uh, in a protective sort of way. I wouldn't say I was ever really ashamed of it, but at the same time, I was very self-conscious as a child, and I knew that other people didn't really talk about this kind of stuff, so I didn't want to go out on a limb and sound even more weird than I already was was as a child. The parallels to realizing you're gay are really similar. I mean, the parallels are eerie, right? You, you have this realization early in life that you're not like others, uh, that you have these sexual interests that set you apart, and then you begin to realize that these have to be hidden, that there are people you can't trust, people you can't trust, and you don't know who those people are yet. Um, it's strikingly similar to you know the realization that you're gay, realizing you're kinky, whether you're gay or straight. Absolutely, and uh, this is why I've long held it's easier for gay people to come out as kinky because we already had to come out once already as gay and then do it again later. This can be a lot more difficult for some straight people to deal with simply because they've never gone through any kind of a coming out process yeah, before. I, I'm, I'm always saying that after you've told your mother that you put dicks in your mouth, telling your boyfriend that you want to get tied up or telling your friends you like to get tied up is pretty small beans. Yeah, it's a little bit easier after that. <laughs> so, so what would you say to this, this, this young woman who's only 23 but clearly still wrestling with the shame, and she was shamed. She was actively shamed. She was she tied this friend up. She still it was still functioning for her on some level as an exciting game, but her friend clearly perceived it as having a sexual dimension, and then ratted her out at school. I mean, she made she made her friend feel uncomfortable. I don't think intentionally so, but her friend experienced it very differently, uh, and then outed her in this way as weird and kinky and deviant. And then she was actively shamed and shunned in school for this kink. How do you move past that? Have you ever talked to anybody else with that kind of experience? Um, I've talked to a few people with that kind of experience, and I have to say to her directly that my heart is just 
broken when I hear stories like this. It's not the first time I've heard one. And I'm really sorry that kids can be that cruel, that something that you do when you're 10 years old once can follow you for that many years all the way through high school. And it's really undeserving and very selfish of kids to do that to one another. Um, I guess the best advice that I could really offer is never forget that you're not alone. It's very, very easy to feel like you are alone and that you deserve all the shame and that there's something wrong with you, but that's really just not the case. It's There is a whole community of kinksters out there, and my advice in trying to find a way to move on from that is to find some people like um, yourself. Try to get out there and make some connections, make some friends, and discover who you are as a person. Kind of start over on some level with a fresh slate. And uh, really take some time in thinking about who you are and finding some people that you can relate some of these stories with. And, yeah, finding some people who had similar experiences and then being able to share them and ultimately, in the end, look back and laugh. Like one day you will look back and laugh as you know, people who are gay look back and laugh often at the, the homophobic bullying that many of us endured. At a certain point, it can become ridiculous in retrospect. Uh, and hopefully at a certain point for you, caller – this experience, as painful as it was, particularly if you can meet with other people, go to munches, find the BDSM group in your area, uh, find some camaraderie, one day you will be swapping these stories and you will laugh and you will you realize it's something that no longer shames you, but you kind of dine out on, hopefully. And then maybe one day she'll also be able to one day make an It Gets Better video as well for <laughs> you out there who are feeling that way and be able to speak to them. Which you did. Tynan made a an It Gets Better video, which we welcomed and we thought was awesome. Terry and I both thought was awesome. Because, you know, for a lot of, like, gay kids, like, there's the gay coming out and then there's the kinky coming out. And a lot of gay kids who come out as kinky to their friends feel that they're that it's not safe. It's a whole other kind of shaming and bullying around their, their sexual desires. Uh, and for some people, you know, even gay people can struggle with coming out as kinky. Um I think this is why, you know, in my dream universe, my dream alternate universe, not only would sex education be comprehensive, not only would it teach pleasure, not only would it teach about, you know, that there are gay people and gay people have sex too and they should that should be a part of a sex education, but there are kinky people and kink needs to be a part of a sex education and awareness about kink and variance needs to be a part of a comprehensive sex education. It's not enough just to do reproductive biology. It's not enough just to do pleasure. It's not enough just to do sexual minorities. You also have to kind of cover kink if it's going to be comprehensive. It really does. And that's not just off of an emotional standpoint either for people out there. It's also about a safety issue as well. And people who bottle this up you know, there's all kinds of politics surrounding people who do self-play and they end up injuring themselves. Because, and then they do it because they didn't feel like they could ever reach out to anybody else. And that's a real detriment to us as a community and also to those individuals and their families and the lives that they uh, unfortunately affect that way. Tynan Fox, sex educator, activist, kinky blogger. You can read his blog at TynanFox.com. Thanks so much for joining us today, Tynan. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, Dan. Uh, my name's Kate. Um, I live kind of a different lifestyle than most of your callers. Um, I ride freight trains, which means I'm pretty much homeless all the time. So for people like me, relationships kind of come differently. 
um, you are more attached to somebody more quickly because if you date somebody on the road, you are with them 24-7. And my last relationship lasted two years, a little over two years on the road. 24-7, getting along perfectly, you kind of get more attached. Like, two years on the road is, like, somebody else's, normal people's, like, eight years. It's, it's a little ridiculous. But I just settled down, and I have a job and a house, but I don't know how to date, really. Like, I don't know how the whole meeting someone, not being with them 24-7 thing goes. Could you, I know it seems kind of stupid and kind of something every teenager knows, but, like, walk me through how to, like, meet people and not be, like, instantly attached to that person. When you're riding the rails and you meet somebody and you begin to spend all your time with them, not only can that cement a bond quicker because you are spending so much time together, it's easier to make that instant bond because somewhere in the back of your mind, you know that if things don't work out, if you realize you were mistaken about that person, if you don't like that person, if they reveal something about their character, uh, that's a deal breaker. It's really easy to extricate yourself from that relationship. It's really easy to walk away. You hop some other train. You get up before they wake up and you walk away with all of your worldly possessions and you're out. When you're dating someone, when you have a home, um, you're conscious on some level that the more you buy in, the, the more of a relationship becomes, particularly if you move in together, the harder it is to extricate yourself, the harder it is to walk away, the harder it is to get out, the harder it is to undo. So people who aren't homeless, people who aren't riding the rails, uh, take it a lot slower because they're a cognizant of that, that once you're in, it's harder to get out. Once you've let them in, it's harder to get rid of them. Once they're in your house, once they're in your apartment, once they're in your life, because your life is so much more complicated, weighted down with possessions and leases and houses and shit. Once they're in your life, it's harder to get them out. So you let them in more slowly. So during that discovery process that is dating during that time, you have to take it slowly enough that if they're going to reveal something that's a deal breaker, if they're going to reveal some sort of fatal character flaw, that they're you know, an abuser or an asshole or just sexually incompatible or emotionally incompatible or just not nice, you have to let that play out very slowly over time before you become 24-7 or the 24-7 that is living together when you both have other jobs and other commitments and lives. Um, so that's what dating is. And that's the only real difference. You may f meet somebody uh, now dating as a person with a home and a person with a job um, that if you met them under another circumstance, if you met them riding the rails, you would instantly become 24-7. But you could only do that because – I don't want to say the emotional stakes are lower, but the stakes are a little lower because it's really easy to extricate yourself. What it means to become 24-7 under those conditions, riding the rails, being homeless, having all your worldly possessions and a pack on your back, it's easier to get out. And so what you need to do now is you can feel just as strongly about someone you're dating. You can look at them and think, you know, if we were riding the rails, I would be with you 24-7, but we're not riding the rails. So we're going to date. We're going to hang out. You're going to sleep at my place some nights. I'm going to sleep at your place some nights. I'm going to have a nights off and nights alone, and so are you. And we're going to take this slowly so that if 
you know, in during this discovery process, if it becomes clear that we're totally right for each other, that we're really good, that I like you, that there's nothing about you that is a deal breaker, then we'll get closer and closer and maybe move into it with each other. Um, but if during this discovery process, it comes out that there's a deal breaker, that we're not right for each other, that we're not suited for each other, that you're an asshole, um, I can end it without then having to move, without then becoming homeless again, without having to have uh, someone living under my roof that I'm fighting with 24 hours a day because the relationship soured. So just do everything you did. Do everything you did riding the rails. Just do it more slowly and for that reason because it's harder to get out. Hi, Dan and Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. Um, I'm a college student. I have a question about a situation. I just want to know if I'm being too uptight or just a crazy bitch. Um, I have a boyfriend in school and he has this weird, what I see is crazy weird relationship with um, his teacher slash boss slash mentor in the school who's in his 30s is closeted quote by probably just tiptoeing out um he let him live in his house for free for a summer he is just kind of does these things where he hits on him like he snoops around the bathroom door whenever he was showering and like plays rat tail grabbing towels i don't know what that is <laughs> um and I didn't have a problem with this. Like, I was interested in him and wanted to hang out until, like, I started hearing these turnoffs about this guy. Like, um, they would hang out, and I would try to call, and he wouldn't answer. And later he would say, like, oh, well, my friend said, um, don't answer the call because she gets, like, this is a quote, she gets you and your dick enough, it's my turn. And he said a lot to him that he's really attracted to him. Why aren't you gay? stuff like that, and it doesn't seem to bother my boyfriend at all, but it just drives me nuts, and I don't really say anything, but it bothers me. Um, I just don't know if I'm being too uptight. I had a conversation with the boyfriend about it all, and he says, yeah, like, I think he's pretty manipulative, and he, he went after another boy. I think he was interested in another boy in our class. I don't know. It's just all kind of weird. I'm not really sure what to say to you. It sounds like a really fucked up situation. Uh, but you may be misidentifying the villain in the piece. Uh, your boyfriend could be exploiting this guy, could be manipulating him. Uh, and your boyfriend gets to be the center of attention and gets to be the wishbone that's being pulled uh, on the one side by you, on the other side by him. All these people are sort of obsessed with him and he's so hot and whatever and he's being pursued by you and – pursued by him, it's not always the case that just because somebody's a little older, maybe a little creepier, and maybe a little gayer, that they're the one who's being the jerk. Uh, sometimes people who are closeted are in a position where they it's easy to manipulate, exploit them, threaten to out them, to use them. Your boyfriend could be using this guy. Not that the guy doesn't sound creepy. This sounds like really deeply creepy in a deeply fucked up situation. And that your boyfriend is willing to sort of trade on this, to get free rent out of it, to hang out with this guy, to, to, to get whatever he can from this guy mentor-wise or professionally while, you know, waggling his dick around and swinging his ass around in his face and manipulating the guy's desire for him and his hots for him, that doesn't speak so well to your boyfriend. Your boyfriend isn't establishing clear boundaries. 
it doesn't speak well to him. I'm not saying the guy isn't touched, doesn't have problems, isn't the author of his own misery if this is indeed making him miserable. It's a fucked up situation. Um, but rather than put all the blame on the creepy gay dude who's panting after your boyfriend, you might want to look at your boyfriend and his agency and his control in this situation. Uh, sounds like a pretty easy situation for your boyfriend to walk the fuck away from if it's really that creepy. Uh, so if I were you, if I were dating this guy, if this, you know, if I were dating your boyfriend, if I were the girl, if I were you in this situation, I would find the whole thing so off-putting that I would break up with my boyfriend. I would think, okay, what that guy's doing, that's fucked up. That you're allowing him to do it, that you're playing along with it, that you're using his desire for you, that, that the things he's doing that are deeply creepy don't upset you enough to end this relationship, to walk away, to at least move the fuck out of his house. That leads me to believe that you have really poor judgment and no boundaries uh, and aren't, probably aren't a good guy. So uh, I think the solution here is for you to uh, dump that motherfucker already, your boyfriend, because there's something up. Something wrong. Hi, Dan. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm new to your podcast. Totally love it. Great stuff. Um, but there was something in that recent live podcast that bothered me a little bit. There was some woman, and she was talking about how her boyfriend or whatever was uh, mean to her, and he would later be apologetic. And then at the end, she revealed that he was carrying, she was carrying his child. And then later, you said that, uh, you know, he's probably going to act mean to the child as well. And I think this was a little off base. I think the dynamic between a divorcing couple and what they say to each other is totally different than the dynamic between a parent and child. I mean, probably he would not say the same mean things to his children or child that he would say to his girlfriend. Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm calling in response to the caller on podcast 296 who asked you to refer her to some good authentic lesbian porn um, and you didn't have uh, much of an answer for her. So I wanted to direct her to the Crashpad series, um, which you can find at crashpadseries.com. Uh, it's not specifically lesbian uh, or exclusively lesbian. It is um, female-made queer porn featuring uh, boys and girls of all genders. Um, there's plenty of lesbian content, and it's all super-duper mega-hot. And it's made really clear that everyone involved is, like, to be doing what they're doing, which obviously makes it much hotter. Um, so your caller should definitely check that out, crashpadseries.com. She will not be disappointed. Thanks. Love the show. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. You can also comment online on every show at thestranger.com slash lovecast. You can see my column at thestranger.com slash savage. Follow me on Twitter at fakedansavage. And me and the tech savvy at-risk youth. We'll be back at you next week. Another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.